we've got the people that'll be in their car and take it from their car, the picture from <laughs> right. the front of the house. But you'll see like a corner of their mirror, you know, in the picture, <laughs> and they'll put that on the ambulance. Like, what the hell are you doing? Welcome to the Top Broker Podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of having on Brooks Landry. Brooks is a top producing realtor with a real broker based in Danville, California, and he services the entire East Bay. Brooks has sold half a billion dollars of real estate as a solo agent in his career. And he's made a name for himself as a pioneer in using video to sell homes and get new clients. Brooks is the co-founder of Envision Media, a branded content creation studio with a focus on real estate agents and Content Drip, which specializes in creating short form video content for their clients to boost social media brand presence. In this episode, we're gonna ask Brooks all about video, what video agents should be doing, what video agents shouldn't be doing, and much more. Brooks, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you for uh, for having me on. So Brooks, can you tell us how you got your start uh, in real estate? You started in the mortgage side of things, right? Yeah, so we started, so when I moved from the East Coast, when I moved from Maine to, to California, I, I, I got a job uh, cold calling for a, uh, a lender in San Diego. And just getting in my foot in the door, I was cold calling six days a week, um, about eight hours a day, all six days a week for about a year and a half, taking applications, getting social security numbers, kind of like building the whole app, give the app to the loan officer, they'd close it, I make 10 bucks on the app, they make like 30,000, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, in the, like in the, bucks? Oh my God, yeah, well we had, I think we were getting paid like 15 bucks an hour, but every app we turned in was 10 bucks an app. And, um, wow. and we'd, we'd essentially drop the entire file off, like ready to go to these lenders and they'd close them. But but that was kind of the whole thing, right? You got to start somewhere and kind of learn the business. But yeah, I was in the mortgage industry for about six years. Um, I had big, I had a couple big teams, um, a couple different brokerages that I worked for, and then we transitioned into real estate in about 2011. Nice. So tell mm -hmm. me about um, your start in real estate, first couple of years, that sort of thing. Crazy. So started off uh, in one of the wor the worst real estate market you could possibly have got into, like in 2010, 20, end of 2009, 2010, getting into 2011. I think I got my license in 11, uh, late 2010. Um, and it was awful. It was like you couldn't get business. Uh, it was I was door knocking for short sales, which is incredibly difficult. Uh, knocking on somebody's door with the family in the background multiple times. Uh, you know, hey, Mrs. Smith, my name is Brooks. I'm a realtor here in the in San Ramon, um, or the areas where, wherever I was door knocking. I understand you've got a notice of default filed on your property. I would love to kind of walk you through the process. And just having to knock on a family's door, talking to them about a potential foreclosure um, and trying to get it to the point where you don't sound sleazy and you're not just out there for the listing. It was difficult, man. Really, really tough. It was a really difficult time. Um, and my first year, I did twelve transactions, um, and then it kind of went from there. It was all it was all buyer based, right? Like I just speaking with uh, one of our clients a moment ago. She's newer to the industry, and she's like, you know, I'm really heavy on buyers. I'm like, yeah, that's typically how that works when you first get into real estate. It's rare that you start getting into real estate, you start taking listings down, um, and um, that was it. It was. I would say probably 95%. No, it was 100%. The first year was 100% buyers. And then it went to like 90% the next year. And then the next year it started to go like a 70, 30, 60, 40. And then it's completely transitioned to like a, like an 80, 20 listings to buyers is basically how I've, how I've done it. Yeah. No, that, that I think a lot of people have that similar path. Um, yeah. Do you have folks on your team? Is it mostly just you? Uh... It's, it's, I've got, 
we have, I got a transaction coordinator, I've got my wife, uh, myself, and that's it. Um, I've had, I've done the big teams. We've owned brokerages. We used to own an Intero real estate here, which is basically a, a Berkshire Hathaway affiliate mm-hmm. here in the Bay Area. I had a broke, good sized brokerage going, big teams, small teams, and I felt just kind of being a little bit more lean uh, was more beneficial. It was less uh, overhead, it was uh, less headache. Um, so I, I, I tend to kind of gravitate towards just myself and a couple trusted partners. So if you get a lead that comes in for maybe an area that's outside of your area, or maybe it's a price point you don't really want to do, or for whatever reason, how do you do a successful handoff or um, yeah, how do you, how do you do that? Yeah, it, 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 well, it depends. There's a few different factors. Um, it could be, you know, I've had that where I've had referrals that have come to me from people either from out of state or just, you know, within real brokerage, we tend to get a lot of referrals, especially here in the Bay Area. We were, were one of the first ones that kind of brought real to the Bay Area. So we tend to get first right at a lot of these. Um, but it, it just depends on who sent it, um, who, do they want, do I have to be involved in it 100%? And if so, and if it's, for example, in Silicon Valley, where it's a 45 minute drive, an hour drive, could be an hour and a half, two hours, depending on traffic. Um, if I need to take it, I will. Um, but if I, at the very least, it's it's a referral base, you know, you're going to give a, um, you know, 25, 30% referral fee on that, and then be as involved in the transaction as much as I can possibly be. Uh, but for the most part, my business is 95% of my business is here locally in what we call the East Bay, which is, you know, comprised of about two, three different, uh, three different counties. Got it. Yeah. I think it's important if you're taking referrals to be able to handle them well and not just like yeah. pass them off quickly. But it's on my mind because exactly. one came in today and I'm like, oh boy, it's a good, he's a good referral source, but this one's going to be a tricky one. It's kind of, you know, low price point outside of my, my wheelhouse. And I'm thinking, how do I do this? How do I do this? You know? Well, that's kind of what those are where you wear your pros and cons, right? Where you wear your options on. It's a great referral base. They've given me business in the past. They clearly trust me to handle them. Do I bite the bullet? Mm-hmm. Do I do you know? Do I handle it? And do I do I get overworked more than I typically would on this to keep that keep that business and that relationship going? Um, but yeah, for the most part, I, I I rarely turn anything away. Honestly, I mean, I've sold. You know, it, here in the Bay, it's different, obviously, in Manhattan, but um, or Brooklyn, or where, where you do a majority of your business in in, in New York, but. You know our price points are you know five six seven million are like the tippity tops right for the most part you know my price point my solid price point is about two and a half to three million here where i'm at but i've done anything from you know three hundred thousand dollar condos to you know three four or five million dollar properties so i rarely turn anything down just because i want to get i want to get continue to get the name out there i just want people to understand that i'll be there so but i understand the ones who don't do that too well that's actually my bread and butter too like in that you know, kind of two to 4 million range is probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's interesting because everyone talks about the luxury and we, you know, we talk a luxury above 4 million is kind of our, our luxury and above 10 million is kind of super luxury. And yep. there's a lot of reports that go out above 4 million. And I just started doing a report between one and 4 million. Cause that's where most brokers and most people who are looking to buy yeah. a two to three bed apartment, that's the range it is, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I feel like there's not like any data on that. Cause everyone wants to talk about, the two hundred million dollar penthouse in Central Park Tower that <laughs> totally is yeah. not even going to sell for that, you know. So 
well, that's the sexy stuff. That's the million dollar listing, the selling sunset stuff mm -hmm. that people get so wrapped up in. But that's not your everyday buyer. I just got off the phone with a new listing I took on uh, today where he's purchasing a home in Ohio. And I was speaking with the agent and he's like, tell me a little bit about the home because it's contingent. He's buying a new construction. So this needs to sell in order for him to qualify to close on that. He's like, tell me a little bit about the home. And I'm like, oh, I mean, it's a, it's a slam dunk. It's, it's a single story. There's like 89 single stories out of like 5,000 in the neighborhood. So it's going to sell immediately. I'm like, it's at a great price point of like one six. And he's like, whoa, is that a great price point? I'm like, for us, it's an amazing price point. Everybody is, is looking at this area. Whereas for you, it's like 3 million, 4 million, awesome price point. A majority of the buyers that you're working with are probably going to be able to close. So it's just a completely... Yeah, different mindset, right? You know, so yeah. So I want to ask you a little bit about video, of course. Okay. Uh, you're you're known as a big video guy, uh, and obviously you have uh, your video production company. Or, but I want to ask you specifically about agents. Um, what two to three video styles do you think that most agents who aren't doing a lot of video right now could start doing, and it would have a like a big impact on their business? immediately I, I'm, I'm a big so there's three of them there, there's 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 three of them that I think are they're very important um, I always try to break down my business into a, a personality video a production video and a proof piece video essentially where um, I try to show through on social media and a lot of the stuff I show and I show on social doesn't necessarily get to my database that's why I do the videos is for my database. Socials, just, you know, the sexy likes, follows, and connections, and referral-based, really, a lot from, from agents. I don't get a ton of business from social media. Most of it's just referral-based that comes from that. But uh, three videos I'd recommend is a, uh, you know, a proof piece. Show that you're in the neighborhood, you know. Um, Tyler Hassman, there's a guy, at a, he's out of Calgary, Alberta, Canada, uh, does an amazing job. I think a majority of his business is just him kind of going around being like, this is what $3.2 million can get you in Calgary. And he just runs through the property. But what that does is it shows his personality, uh, shows his energy. Uh, but most importantly, it shows that he's in the neighborhood, that he sees these properties. He knows what's being asked for, what's what's for sale, what the what specs are, bed, bath, square footage, that type of stuff. That's your proof piece mixed with homes that you've sold, right? Listings, buyers you've represented. Um, personality piece can be something along the lines of your opinion on a news article that just came out, right? Um, for example, you're going to see a ton of them this week on uh, Supreme Court shutting down the student loan forgiveness program, right? You're going to see how that's going to reflect. So what we're going to see in our feeds is a ton of realtors and lenders giving their opinion on what what that could do to the industry. You know, they're talking something along the lines of like 40 million people were up for a potential student loan forgiveness uh, that just got blocked where the average had like something like $20,000 in debt. So what, how does that translate to real estate? So a lot of that's just your personality. You're just kind of going over whatever that news article was and breaking it down in the layman's terms. Um, and then I like the talking head stuff. Um, the talking head stuff is just kind of news hacks, stuff that, um, you know, evergreen style content where it's like, you know, different loan programs compared to other different loan programs and how what the benefits and features of that are. So I would say between the three, it's 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 your talking head, uh, kind of evergreen style stuff, stuff that you and I know as real estate professionals, but our clients don't necessarily know. Uh, the other part essentially would be your proof piece. You're in the streets, right? You're in you're out there. You're you're actually you're in there working. So you're showing your clients you're doing that 
that goes to your database all the time. You want your clients to know that you're constantly in properties. You know what the competition looks like. Um, and then the other part is just your opinion. So those three, I think, is the way to go. And when you say talking head, are, are you saying like a green screen or are you saying more like the like uh, the sitting on a stool, kind of like that kind of approach? Yeah, that's that's yeah. Um, like a like a Glenda Baker. Are you familiar with Glenda uh, down in Atlanta? Uh, oh, I'm not massive huge agent, uh, massive on TikTok. She kind of brought that to light about two or three years ago where she was just, you know, she had an angle, she had the camera right here looking at her and she was just kind of interviewing, giving her opinion on this, that, and the other, right? Kind of just a, um, a breakdown of evergreen style stuff. Um, I think that's important. If you see my social and you find, you know, on my, on my uh, Instagram, you're going to see a lot of talking head stuff mixed with a bunch of proof piece style stuff. Nice. Um, when did you start doing video uh, and take it seriously? <laughs> uh, immediately, right when I got my license. I've been doing video for for a little over ten years. I'd say probably just after when I when I got into real estate. It was um, I didn't have anything. We were completely broke. Uh, we we the way I generate a business was door knocking and following up door knocking and following up. And then any, if I knocked on your door and I built a relationship or built a rapport with you and I was able to get an email address because I was sending you a CMA, I would immediately record a video when I got home, send it to you through YouTube. So if you, if you go back and you kind of look in YouTube and type my name and you're going to see no grays, you're not going to see any facial hair. You're going to see a malnourished, skinny, broke kid that was just giving market updates on homes that hit the market. But I would do that consistently. And I really started off because it was in the middle of, uh, you know, the financial crisis where it was all foreclosures, it was all short sales. So one thing that I used to do was I would check the list of foreclosures that hit the market that week. And um, I'd send a quick little video through Craigslist. And it would be, you know, there's 50 homes that hit 50 foreclosures that hit the market this week. Here's a list of 25. If you're interested in the other 25, click on the link and go to sendmeforeclosures.com. And I would post that video nonstop on every city in the Bay Area through Craigslist. And we were just killing it with leads. We were getting hundreds and hundreds of leads a week. Um, the conversion sucked. My follow-up game was awful, but um, we closed. that's how we started the business. And we just completely flooded Craigslist to the point where I believe that we were one of the reasons why they stopped allowing you to put <laughs> links for that because it was 25, 30 times a day on every single city. It was just overload like crazy. Um, but that's kind of how I started. And I wanted to do something a little bit different. A lot of people, nobody was really doing video for the most part. My first video I ever did, and I think I talked to you about this before, I was like sweating through my shirt. I was like beat red in the face. <laughs> um, I had to change my shirt a couple different times. I went downstairs, I'm like, babe, do I sound like this? I, I sound dumb. <laughs> Is this how I sound? And, you know, it was just kind of like one of those, like you had to get over the, um, you know, the mental block of, yeah. of just being out there. But that's how I started. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things that the more you do it, the better you get. And the, the more you get over your own weird insecurities and stuff, you know? Yep. I, I feel like people think that everyone who's at all good at it is a natural. And, you know, some people are a little, maybe get a little bit better quicker than others, but it's mostly just a repetitions thing, I think. It, that's it. It's reps. It's just continue taking your shot, right? Um, my, my little guy, my boy's a basketball player. It's like, you got you got to hit jump shot after jump shot after jump shot you're going to start shooting like this eventually and start until you start to get the muscle in the arms and you're going to start to get the snap of the wrist and you start to start to get the arc it's all reps i've got with our um 
uh, content creation company with with content drip, a lot of our clients who have never done video before. That's kind of one of the, the probably the biggest hurdle that I hear and objections that I hear. And then at, over time, a few months down the line, it's they just feel so much more comfortable. We've had so many emails, so many text messages from clients being like, I would have never have felt this comfortable to grab my phone and just, you know, give my point of view on whatever I did, sweaty, my hair all over the place type of thing. So that's it. The rep- repetition builds confidence. Mm-hmm. I think there is something too that almost, yeah, the sweaty, the walking videos do pretty well. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing where it's mm-hmm. like people know that you're not, you know, the ones that do bad are like when you're sitting there, you hit go and you're like, the weekly market update for totally. <laughs> <You know? laughs> totally. And, and that's one thing I we, we preach to all of our clients that we try to coach our agents through and our lenders through is to... I mean, there's a, there's a structure and there's a system with it, with how we kind of coach kind of going through the scripts that we write for them. But, you know, the market updates, nobody really cares, you know, with Zillow and the red fins, that's, that's a click away. They, they get an idea of what the days on market is, what the price per foot is for the most part. I mean, they don't know exactly, and they could obviously use the realtor, the professionals um, insight on it, but for the most part, they can find a lot of the info where the, where, where video is so, uh, important is it shows your mannerisms. It shows your energy. It shows what I want to hang out with Phil for a weekend. Do I want him in my open house? And then I see him on video. I'm doing this. Right, that guy's right. I can trust him. That's where the trust value starts to come down over the direct mail pieces in the, in the inbox over the constant, you know, email with just text videos, incredibly important that way. And you know, if you, if you go to someone's profile who you've never, you know, you've never met them before, whatever, the first thing you're really looking for is their face, who they are. And it's yeah. like when people have these like prepared little, you know, you know what I'm talking, you know, it's hard to explain totally. what I'm talking about, but like the very curated like uh, grid that is just kind of like their company's stuff that they've made or like just listed, just sold, just, okay, that's good. You've done some business, but where are you? Where are you in your feed, right? <laughs> it's it's funny you say that. I was I swear I was just thinking about this uh, when I came back from the gym today. I'm kind of, as I'm trying to kind of get the the day prepped and prepare for the weekend, I had a couple closings the last few weeks. I'm like, God, I've when was the last time I put a just sold out or just listed out? I can't remember. Am I not part, doing this properly? You always hear people now say, "Stop with the just like." Eric uh, Simon, the broke agent of Broke Agent Media is always like, stop with the just listed, stop with the just solds. And you get to the point where you kind of get away from that a little little bit, but putting it into kind of scattering it in, or even just breaking the just listed, just solds into telling a story. So I've got, like I said, a handful of listings that we've closed over the past few weeks. It's just going to be a breakdown of how that transaction went. That's the new just sold. It's like, so we started this process. I couldn't get in their home to stage it. Uh, the inspectors, you know, were three hours late. You know, little things, little things that kind of break down what the process was of it. Um, I think that's a powerful just sold, and you can do it within video. And I think that's going to bring a few things across to any viewer, especially if you hit your database with that video. It's going to show that you managed that transaction and dealt with every headache and every hurdle from A to Z. So we have something called different ways to go the about deal it. of the year, and it's through uh, Rebney, which is the Real Estate Board of New York, which is mm-hmm. equivalent to MLS for us. We're not actually members of the MLS, but I don't have to get into all that. But uh, you have to. Uh, yeah. yeah, I learned that from you, by the way. I, I think you told me last I was blown away when I didn't realize New York or Manhattan didn't have an MLS. Yeah, but 
the deal of the year is interesting. You have to apply for it. And so you, all these people write all these crazy stories about the transaction. So deal of the year, you're, you have to apply for it and like write out your whole story. And I think that a transaction, like if you, mm-hmm. if you do it just sold, like you said, write out the whole story. Because if you, if you say, well, you know, here's, yeah. you know, the person was a referral or they came from this and, you know, we did this and we got this video, you know, we did open house, we did, Either you sold it quickly, which is great, or mm-hmm. you it took you forever to sell, which shows you have diligence. You know, explain it a little bit. And I think that uh, that may, is just a cooler way to present it. it. It's great because it shows, like, for I mean, like I've done them where I had a property that we had on the market. Long story short, it was a three-bedroom, two-bath, three-bedroom, two-and-a-half bath, but the living room used was converted into a living room used to be a bedroom. It was on the first floor. That neighborhood typically, you know, you've got a lot of in-laws that live with their with their with their kids and they need to avoid stairs. So when I got into the listing, I said, listen, you know, ideally it'd be best if you had a bedroom on the first floor. It's gonna open up the pool of buyers. Let's see how the market reacts to it. And then if not, maybe in a few weeks we pivot, take it off the market, get it, get uh, contractors in, get the permit, get it put back. And that's exactly what happened. A few weeks, three weeks later, nobody, we had no bids, nothing in a hot real estate market, which is odd. And then that's how we did it. We pivoted. So we put together a video kind of breaking down how we transitioned and how we had to pivot in order to make our clients, you know, reach the goal they needed to. The engagement was insane. Like the database is like, oh, totally. So a bedroom bathroom on the first floor is a big deal in that neighborhood. And then it just opens up, opens up uh, conversations. So I think it's funny. It's like, the stuff that we do on a daily basis, you and I, and just realtors in general, um, showing more than your typical day in the life of a realtor. I woke up, I did this, I had, you know, mimosas with the girls or the team or whatever. And then we had coffee and then we showed three homes and see you tomorrow. Like that's not, you know, that's that's not really beneficial to the brand. Show the little things, show the cold calls that you got, you got hung up on or explain the cold calls you got hung up on or the guy that yelled at you. I got, was door knocking. I got attacked and bit by a dog. I saw a scar on my leg from getting bit by a dog. So that my database knows about that. It just builds communication. I I think that showing that glamorous life, of course that stuff's more fun to show, but it does make us look kind of entitled and overpaid and lazy and what you know it's like when you work with someone usually by the by the end of it they're like oh my god phil like you earned every penny of this like this is amazing you did such a great job (laughs) but if you just have just listed just sold just listed just sold on your on your feed and that's what you're saying to your network it's kind of like saying yeah i Mm -hmm. just listed this property and made a fifty thousand dollar commission and whatever you know it's it's like okay, but what do you actually do for them? What did you do? Well, and that's the thing. And that's where, because people get so, so hooked up, uh, caught up on the selling sunset and the buying Beverly Hills and all these, I mean, there it's a drama filled business, right? I I think I saw a video uh, a couple days ago, come back on the, the amount of production that a lot of those agents actually do on a yearly basis is completely different than what's led on for it to be, but it's a glamorous thing, right? And they continue to show what the commission is in the bottom line. But I'm telling you, like I, I did a video earlier today. Um, I've been tracking these two sellers down for almost two years, constant follow-up with them, sending them little text videos when I'm in the neighborhood, sending them CMAs. That is a grind. That's a two-year grind to get the business. And then once you actually get to the point where you're sitting down meeting with them, and then you're competing against other top agents in the area, you end up getting the deal. Then the then the then the work starts even even 
tenfold, but show the insights, show the ins and outs. Um, I do think if everybody was to break down and just look at their Instagram feed and just look at every just sold, just listed, just sold, just listed, whatever, buyer representation and break that down into a script, put it into video, send it to your database that you've been collecting over the years, it's going to bring an incredible amount of engagement. And that's what you want. The goal really is to start conversations with people that are going to raise their hand to see if they're thinking of buying or selling and at least be there to answer some questions. So yeah, I'm with you hundred percent. Oh, uh, what is that? What is one video that you, that agents should stop doing? Uh, I mean, the obvious is like talking crap about their clients, right? You know, like, I don't know where that ever got popular. <laughs> That's always been something that kind of is like, you're playing career Russian roulette at any time you do that. Um, I mean, that's that's not a good one. Um, I do think, I really think the day in the life of a realtor that is showing one or two real estate activities throughout a nine to 10 hour day um, mm -hmm. doesn't really show you in your best light, right? You're not as efficient. I want to see it, but the guy, I, the guy or the girl I hired to sell my property, I want it to be, I want to see that you're active. I want to see that you're out there. I want to see that you're having the communication and the, the conversation. So um, yeah, I, agree with yeah. um it kind of reminds me of the like my default and it, it's probably different here but my default is like meeting a client for the first time or going on a pitch just like full suit and tie because yeah it's a little bit mm -hmm. you know it can be a little seen as like a tad cheesy maybe but you know what as long as it's a good suit <laughs> and like you know it, it just it's just professionalism yeah. and what i've also noticed is if i if i'm taking buyer out mm -hmm. or something and i happen to forget the key or a doorman needs to let me in and he doesn't know usually if you're wearing the suit they usually you know you get in the doors a little bit easier uh and maybe that that's probably a new york thing too but right. it's just kind of like i've definitely had it where it's like I, I know it's helped me before i know it's helped me before yeah i mean you're looking good you're feeling yeah 100 yeah I, I i see that it's funny when i started there's been like an evolution to, to my business where I started on, it was all suits, right? I had suits and suits and suits. And then it started to get where I'm not much of a suit guy. Um, you know, I'm casual, you know, business casual, look presentable, you know, good shirt, good shoes, good pants, you know, the whole um, clean cut. But um, it has kind of transitioned where I felt like I had to have, but I do think that's kind of like a New York thing as well. I feel like everybody in New York's got just suits. Everybody's kind of dialed in, but I don't know. Maybe Except not. the really rich people. I've noticed really? that usually yeah. when it's the, the really rich people don't have to. And there it's kind of that like stealth wealth kind of thing. Like they'll be wearing like a cashmere t-shirt. And it's like, <laughs> okay. Right, exactly. <laughs> because they don't have to. Wealthy. All the people that work for them though, they sort of expect that. You know, yeah. and so it's yeah. funny because if you go into a room and you're meeting, you know, a client who like, you know, has like a lawyer and a manager and this and that. And you see like three people in suits and one person who's not. The rich person is the one who's not. The one with it, because he doesn't, he doesn't need, he's like, I'm, I'm past my suit wearing days. Yep. <laughs> it's what <Yep>. it is. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like, you don't see Jeff Bezos in a suit too often, right? Like, no. you see him, you know, wearing his whatever. When was um, the last time you saw Zuckerberg in a suit, right? And like, or that, that. yeah. 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 So, that, that is a funny thing. Uh, but um, how's your uh, local market right now? It's chaos. Um, it is chaos. Uh, so we have a massive inventory issue, like a lot of people do around the country. We've I did a video on this um, about a, three, four weeks ago, where typically in our area during this time of the year, we're seeing anywhere from 50 to 60 homes hit the market per city 
per week, brand new homes to the market, new, brand new re resales. Um, we so between five cities, we're talking, you know, anywhere from 350, maybe 400 homes every single week are typically hitting the market. What we've been seeing, we went on a stretch where we were averaging about 43 between all of them. Nothing is for sale. Literally, if you get a listing, it's like gold right now. Um, there is, I think this past week, we had eight homes hit the market, which that's anywhere from condos to single families, townhomes, the whole nine yards. So um, there's just no inventory, which is a little scary. And, and, it's, and it's frustrating because uh, you've got a lot of sellers that have got the two and 3% interest rates. I think we have on our properties, uh, like a between 2.7 and like 3.2 are typically our rates that we have in our homes. Um, it's going to be tough to get rid of those, right? So you've got a lot of the sellers that got the very low interest rates where if I sell, I'm going to have to get a six and a half or a seven or wherever you qualify for in a new home. So does it make sense? Mm -hmm. But when you start to see more inventory hit the market and then interest rates drop, you're going, we're going to see a massive influx in, uh, in, in, in property values. And it's only going to make the gap of home ownership, home affordability so much further. It's just really difficult, you know, the pandemic hit. I'll give you an example of a property that I sold. The pandemic uh, hit and I listed this property, beautiful home, great neighborhood, desirable area, uh, well-kept property. Uh, I listed it for 1.4, which was about 150 over what the last uh, last sale was. I thought we could push the envelope because there was no in, there was nothing on the market. At the very least, he had time and gave us some wiggle room. We got a list. We got an offer about $400,000 over that in a matter of like two weeks. And the conversation was, and it was a lot of people from the South Bay and the peninsula, the work from home, the tech, the tech people that are like, I'm so used to paying significantly higher here in Cupertino, in San Jose, in wherever, San Mateo. Um, I'm willing to overpay for this. Um, and then it just went through the roof. You were seeing every property go 200 over, 250 over, 175 over. It was like, you just needed to put a sign in the ground and you had 300 people 200 people at open houses it was mind-blowing and, and it, it, i'm not exaggerating it was just unbelievable like we were just capturing an insane amount of leads an insane amount of business but then interest rates obviously ticked up to the you know where we're at right now mid sixes close to seven um nobody's buying nobody's buying right now whereas right now would be an amazing time if you can afford to purchase a property and you can buy that home even if you have to take that seven percent take it on the chin until Hopefully rates go down. Maybe not. At the, at the worst case scenario, you can afford to buy the home and you found the home you love. But when rates go down, it's going to go through the roof. There's just no inventory right now. What about you guys? How's how's everything? Because New York was New York kind of crushed a little bit recently. Or did that? How how's that market? You know, during COVID, it didn't go down as or it didn't go uh, the it didn't it didn't go up as much. Right? Yeah. You know, the COVID boom. And it didn't really crash as much either. Okay. You know, like I, I feel like we're uh, inventory has been pretty steady. It's been ticking up a little bit, actually. Mm -hmm. um, there hasn't been as much new development, uh, which is usually there's a decent amount of, uh, you know, of new buildings that come up. And, you know, these are 100, 200 unit buildings yeah. that really add to the supply. Um, so there hasn't been too much because we had, we used to have this 421A tax abatement thing where uh, you know builders could build, they would allocate a certain amount of units to like affordable housing, and mm -hmm. then they would get a long tax abatement uh, that they could either pass along to the new condo owners, or if it was a rental building, they could reap the benefits of that. Gotcha. Uh, that basically just evaporated 
And wow. So they builders are like, if there are any plots of land that have started with the, where like they've put one one, one post in the ground and it, you can build there, that land is trading for a huge premium yeah. uh, because taxes are going up here. And so, mm -hmm. and like the monthlies to hold a place can be like $3 per foot per month. So if you're like on common charges and taxes combined. Mm -hmm. So if you have a, I don't know, a thousand square foot, two bedroom, say, uh, it's probably about 3000 a month. Just to hold. You know, just to hold. Yeah, yeah. Like buying it cash. And so then add on the 7% interest rate, you know, on top of that, usually it's a jumbo. So it'd be, it'd be less, but call it 6%. And, uh, you know, it adds up. <laughs> oh, it, it, quickly. Are you seeing, um, out here, the, I mean, nationwide, the commercial market's getting crushed. I think there was some number of like 30%, uh, the commercial sales are down by 30%, something along those lines. I'll have to go back and, and, and look into it. But the, especially out here in the Bay, it, when a lot of these tech companies moved out, the work from home, they were able to kind of, you know, lower their, their, um, their bottom lines a little bit more. We're starting to see a lot of empty buildings that the conversation comes, are we turning those into affordable housing? Are we turning those buildings into the two bedroom, one bath condos, one bedroom, one bath condos? Are you seeing the commercial market get decimated and now turning into with conversations into making those, those buildings into more, more housing? Yeah. So yes and no. So okay. we're seeing them get decimated. What's happening is the class B, uh, like there's class a uh office space which is like the really nice like what the, the metas are in and what the right. you know uh, google yeah. is in and like mm -hmm. the beautiful stuff where you like your employees get sushi and like it's really nice right yes. and then there's all the everyone else right that's just kind of the low ceilings like you know in school how they have those like drop ceilings and like fluorescent totally. lights yeah. think that kind of that kind of office space gotcha. that's that's probably 70 percent of it and probably the the class a is like 30 percent. so what was happening is all the, you know, all the attorneys and the big law firms and everything, they, uh, the people didn't want to come back to the office. So they said, why don't we cut our, we have a hundred thousand square feet of, uh, class B. Why don't we take 50,000 of class A? We'll pay twice as much for the good stuff. Mm -hmm. And then we'll put people on a hybrid schedule. Basically everyone did that. And so now what you're looking at is no one wants the class B. So the vacancy is really high on the class B and the class A, they're actually getting even higher prices for, but there wow. isn't very much of it. So like there's beautiful new stuff in like Hudson Yards, like these new buildings that are beautiful. Everyone wants them. No one wants the old stuff. It's the premium. The premium always sells, right? And it always yeah. sells at a premium in most markets. That's incredible. Wow. Yeah. And so then you're at, you ask, can you convert these buildings? Uh, and the reason you can't is because the floor plates of these things are so big that you have almost no windows. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you ha it's like these like bullpen style offices, you know, like think of, um, think of the twin towers, you know, like yeah. huge, just one row of windows. How hard would it be to turn that into residential? Right. And then right. there's also, there's a lot of code things about the weight limit, like the weight loads on floors mm -hmm. and offices have lower weight loads than residential. Makes you also sense. have to think about like how many how many times are you gonna have to puncture the slab in order to put in different like an office might have a couple of water lines running through right residential has a ton of water lines well, gas lines yeah. all that so it's More like infrastructure yeah 100%. it wasn't built for it so some can be converted 
but it's usually the really old kind of cool like you know the buildings from like 1900 they're like cool loft warehouses yeah you can totally convert those the 1970s offices where they were not so much burning making them right and we're back back in the day it was more you know there's more they put into it yeah i'm with you yeah so it's it's a super interesting conversation um i think more is being done uh i have a developer who like like wants me to be finding him stuff but it's, it's just tough there's also like we just have so many different rules as far as like floor area ratio and setbacks and because it's just there aren't alleys in manhattan so it's just building smush to build together basically right. so you know it's right. like you know air rights and there's so much crazy stuff i was gonna ask you i was just gonna say this and you brought it up what, how do the air rights work is it as simple as you've got the rights to the air you've got the rights to a certain above amount above that building or how do, how do air rights work yeah so we call it floor area ratio so mm-hmm. what it is is if you like on lexington avenue for example like right mm-hmm. near where i am right now you might have a pretty lenient floor area ratio you can get up to like 16. so what that means is using the whole floor plate say your plot of land is 20 by 100. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty common uh, piece of land in New York. So 20 by 100, you could build, essentially you could build a 16-story building going all the way up, right? 16 stories high. Or you could use half of it and you could build 32 stories high. Mm. So it's it's kind of like the amount that you're allowed to build, then there's certain limits, like you can't build higher than you know 50 stories high. And you gotcha. have to have, it has to be set back 10 feet from the, the beginning of the lot for sidewalk and that kind of thing. You can't, block this guy's view because he has an easement of you know like a light and air easement or you know right there's so much going on right and it takes years to get these permits and so when you have buildable square footage you'll price it per buildable square foot so you'll be like i have thirty-two thousand buildable on lexington uh that you could make x y and z building with it right and so what you'd say is like we're gonna say that's like four hundred dollars per buildable so you might do it for $400 per buildable. The actual cost of building might be $800 a foot. Mm-hmm. So now mm-hmm. you're in for 1200 and you're going to try to sell it for 2000 a foot. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of the idea there. Are those typical margins that developers are looking for when, when it is something of that, you know, or is it yeah. like I, I have a 20% margin that I'm hitting no matter what, or I'm not taking this or what are those oh, yeah. conversations? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. You need, you need that kind of, but like, you know, if you can, I think they're looking for much more, but if you can get yeah. that, um, that's the goal. Yeah. Uh, 20 is a little tight because yeah. you know, then you got to think, you know, you got to pay these brokers, you, you know? get investors. <laughs> you yeah. Gotta, yeah. yeah. You got investors. Yeah. You yeah. usually have like a waterfall structure. So they're only getting paid when it's above a certain hurdle. Mm-hmm. So they have to make a certain, you know, a certain rate of return to pay their investors. And then if they don't make any more than that, they've done this whole project and they're, in it for years and they don't get really paid anything that's tough so yeah it's it's a you know these developers uh it's you think you know oh you know big evil developer or whatever but like not you know their work they work hard and they try to find every damn opportunity to do anything and if you can bring them a deal like they're very they're very grateful and you know yeah it's it's just it's it's not like I was talking to a guy out in Seattle and he works with a lot of developers um, and uh, Jake Weaver and he's a, he's a great guy and he's, you know, got a lot of, uh, you know, kind of like gusto and, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll find a deal if there's a deal, you know, but for him, it's like, he might get a, you know, a assemblage of 10 
you know, 10 lots or something, build 10 townhouses on it, and he can sort of pitch that to a developer. It's kind of like a smaller thing, and I guess it's just more doable. Like here, if you're a broker and you want to pitch a developer, it's like your whole job for a couple of years, and like hopefully it goes well, and if it does, you're going to sell a 150-unit condo building, and you're going to make millions in commissions. And if Mm -hmm. it doesn't work out, you're going to get nothing. You're going to get nothing, and 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 that's all time spent. Yeah. It's probably not going to work out. Just like, you know, so it's like, it's great when it can work out, but like, it's, it's tough. It's tough. And you don't want to like, you, it's so much, like, it's so much easier and hand more handleable to like get a listing or, you know, wait until the building's done and then approach the developer and be like, Hey, I'll work for a reduced commission. If you give me 10 or 20 of these listings, you know? Yeah. Does that happen very often? Oh yeah. That's, yeah. that's yeah. very common. You know, that's kind usually of the, the, the developers. Yeah. That's kind of the name of the game. Yeah. Is, is people do it for like half a percent on the listing side sometimes it's just like you wow. want your name attached to these awesome new buildings right yeah that's and incredible. if it's like a 10 million dollar listing it's like well that's that's pretty good of course yeah it's tough to walk away from that it's funny there's such a negative or at least out here there's such a negative look on people lowering compensation and i mean there's been multiple times where i've done that um there but it's tough to walk away from a significant compensation and a paycheck based off, you know, being friends with the realtor three brokers away. You know what I mean? Like, it, like yeah. the, I yeah, mean, yeah. it's such a negative thing. It's it's incredible, but well, it is different too when you're if you're talking about like a bulk deal. You know, totally. you, like I, I get it. They often do like a sales office, and they'll 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 let you have the sales office space, or they'll rent that for you. You have a marketing budget with them, and mm-hmm. then you, you have a special deal with them, like because you get you'll get buyers from it too right like people will reach out so that's kind of the idea as far as the overall discounts in new york like our commissions are usually two and a half and three percent like are the you know on on both sides so like that's um but it's pretty good i mean that's like it's pretty good i i think that there is a wide range on the service that people get with different brokers like putting it nicely (laughs) there's a lot of agents here that will um They'll take photos of their computer screen of an old photo or floor plan or something. Like, it's just like, what are you? And then yeah. they'll, po- they'll post that on the equivalent of our MLS. And it's like, what is going on here? Like, <laughs> we've got the same. Oh, yeah. No, we, we've, we've got the people that will be in their car and take it from their car. The picture from <laughs> right. the house. But you'll see like a corner of their mirror, you know, in the picture. <laughs> and they'll put that on the MLS. Like, what the hell are you doing? Um, yeah, like, it's. I mean, I guess it shows how important the relationship is in this yeah. business because mm-hmm. someone still hired that person, yeah, who is clearly not qualified to sell their most valuable asset. But like the relationship is there, and I guess that's it. Yeah, and it's it's. I mean, it kind of goes back to anytime I'm asked that, and and I deal. I've, I work with a, a community that is, um, it's culturally it's in their culture to negotiate non it's nonstop negotiate that you rarely are getting your, 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 your full top dollar. Um, and some will hit you hard and some will go big. And and it's like, I mean, I can come off the compensation, but you don't want this, 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 and this. That's when, when I started to really understand the community and a lot of the clientele that I'm working with, um, 
I started to build in a lot more value where we handle the staging, the cleaning, the paint touch up, the landscape cleanup. We handle literally 99% of like the heavy lifting. I've, I just got off the phone with a client where I'm likely going to go and have a team come over and move his stuff from the boxes. I remember his boxes from the inside to the garage so we can start staging the home early. The, 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 like you have to do those type of things to bring a little bit more value because you need to be able to compete against the 1% listings, the red fins, the one and a half percent listings because they're not doing that. You know, they're, they're brand new to the industry. They're here just to say, I'll sell your home for a point, which essentially means I'll print out the MLS sheets and I'll put a sign in the front of the ground. And that's really the extent of it. So you have to get creative when it comes to bringing value. Um, how did those red fins offer compensation to the Cobroke? Like, are they like offering it out at two and a half? Or are they offering it at like? Yeah, so they'll they'll do a two and a half. And the way that they've, and I don't know if they've changed anything, but it's usually like a 4% listing. If they're listing my home, it's 4%. One and a half goes to the listing, two and a half goes to the buyer. But then on the flip side of that is I need to buy a property with them. And when I buy the property with them, um, after I sell mine, I need to, uh, I'm going to get X amount of dollars back from that agent. So, um, but then again, you do, you, I mean, I hate to, there's a quality of agents that that um, are attracted to that, which isn't. I mean, that's their thing. I mean, I know yeah, yeah. I've, I've had I've had multiple conversations with with Redfin agents that are doing 50, 60, 70 transactions a year. And I hate to I mean, a lot of people hear me say this are going to be like, oh, poor you. But it's like they're making like two hundred fifty thousand a year and doing like 60 transactions a year. It's like that's a lot of work. The, yeah. That's a lot of work. And you're leaving so much on the table so that you can get a 401k and some insurance, you know what I mean? So, um, but it's, it Definitely. is, you know, I've, I've met, I've met a few of them that are just unbelievable. I'm like, you would absolutely kill this industry if you just got out and, you know, and, and, and mm-hmm. but it is what it is, you know? And I, I would guess most of them will. I mean, yeah, but you know, I know, like yeah, yeah, I should, he, he should remain nameless, but I know a really big insurance guy who everyone loves. Um, and he works for a company that it's kind of similar, you know, 401k and this and that. But if he just had his own shop, he would be making probably 10 times as much or something. You know, it's like yeah. because he's grown to be that big and he's just like he doesn't know when he's like, should I should I cut the cord now or wait yeah. six months? He's and and he's like you said, he's making good money, but mm-hmm. also like it's just all about with insurance. It's all about the residuals and like the, totally. you know, each year your clients don't leave. And so but mm-hmm. this company that shall remain nameless. Uh, he only gets it for two years or one year or something. And so he's, Oh wow. He's done all of this. I mean, he's got a, he does like a deal a day and it, they just all sunset after a year or two. And it's wow. just like, come on. Uh, especially the, because you, you get into insurance for the residuals, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. the, the, you do that for the future and have it continue to bring income down. My dad owned a brokerage. He sold his brokerage to a massive company a handful of years ago. Um, but that was his whole thing. And it, uh, yeah, wow, that's tough. That's a, a tough build to swallow. He's insured billions yeah. and billions of dollars of property. I and bet. it's just like, it'd be nice if you still had that under your name, not under the guy that you're, you know, totally. it seems like that's kind of what Redfin is doing is like, it's, you know, they're, I think it's also probably a lead thing, right? Like yeah. they're, you know, they're, so, so I can understand how that could be a niche for them, but yeah, it it's, it's one of those things. It's one of the first things that our clients said, well, I checked Redfin and I checked Zillow, you know, that's like one of the first conversations that we have when I get through the door, I'm like, I get it. I get you probably went there. So I tried to get it to him before. I'm, I'm sure you're going to check Redfin. I'm sure you've seen what Zillow does, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, leads are a big deal, especially in a market like this. 
inventory is tight. Um, but it's, you kind of, you're, you're not as an agent, you're not learning the industry. Um, and I always kind of like go back and I talk to a lot of agents that are newer to the space and, and, and I'm like, listen, you know, I started in the industry door knocking and a lot, it's not for a lot of people. And that's not a lot of people can't do that or, or don't want to do that. But every year I'm getting X amount of business because of the work I put into 10 years ago, just owning that farm. When I first got into it, it was, it was two of the, the two agents that dominated my farm were two of probably the top 15 in the state of California in my backyard, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, three, four hundred million dollars a year in production, um, which is a lot for the area. Um, and uh, when I got into it, my coach was like, you need to get into this area where you need to find a farm that's dominated by the top agents because there's so much low hanging fruit with those agents. There's so many people that just don't want to work with them or don't mesh with them or are sick of the constant marketing. And that's how I started. And I started taking that low hanging fruit and then following up with video. And then it's essentially me and those two at pretty much every listing appointment I go to in the area. So, but, at, but then again, at the beginning of the year, I know I'll probably do 15 transactions because of that farm from the work I put into every year. And then everything outside of that is just, you know, what I've, what I've grown for, but too many people rely on the leads. I think grow the farm, generate your farm, have the no like, and trust factor of a mass amount of people that have seen you for years and you're going to be good. That's our residual income, I think is a farm, you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And I also, I like what you said about, you know, yeah, there's these two or three really dominant people, or there were. Now I think you'd be now you're seen as one of those. I'm sure you know that yeah. people yeah. are like, you know, I'm going up against Brooks, man. How do I compete? Well, well, uh, well they, trust me, they still kill me in volume. Um, but but it's it's still one of the three for the most yeah. part. You know, there's a few more that that scatter in there, but for but yeah, it's 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 uh, just consistency. You know? But you know, if there's an agent who is feeling it, like I'm sure there's someone listening, thinking, you know yeah, I can't compete with these guys. You know, you don't really have to, you have to get, get five or 10%, just start edging in a little bit because some people are going to connect with you that aren't going to connect with those, those bigger ones and whatever you have, that's your advantage. You're the small guy and maybe that's good. You know, you're going to give them more attention. You're going to, you know, whatever it is, you're not going to be one of their 12 listings. You're going to be one of your two listings and you're going to be there every weekend. And you know, use that, right? Like use whatever you can. What one thing that I where I saw my business turn um, against them was when I started to kind of realize that I am in in the picture when it comes to listing appointments was I just started to learn who they were. I, I, I learned their business inside and out, their team, their size of their team, what they did, what they didn't do good. And I built out a marketing piece that was the top 10 questions you need to ask the agent you're interviewing before hiring them. And every single one of those questions went against they're negative. It was one, it was a negative. It didn't, I wasn't saying nice. this is what Phil doesn't do right. This is what Katie right, doesn't right. do right. But this was something where I know if it's me and her up against a listing appointment and they ask, you know, are you going to be holding my open houses? No, she's not, but I will. And you're hiring me to be able to do that. So that's how I started to structure that. Um, and when I started to do that it is when I really started to see things turn a little bit. So a lot of it is just knowing knowing your competition and know what they're good at, what they're not good at, and how you can wiggle in and then just produce it in a completely different way and make it as visible in front of our clientele that we share together. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And also giving yourself permission to pitch a certain 
bit of business. A lot of agents in New York, and you'll think this is really funny, I think, uh, they work their own building. So like you'll move into a certain condo building mm-hmm. and you'll you'll work that, like you'll send out a lot of you know mail to that building and you'll do everything you can to meet those people and everything. And it's seen as like a like gimme business, right? Because like, of course they're gonna hire the agent who's in the building, they know it really mm-hmm. well. And to some extent that's true. But I think that one reason why agents get a lot of business in their building is because they've just given themselves permission to market it and permission yeah. to like, to farm it. And yeah. farming is not that big here where it's like, you'd think it would be, but it's 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 not. Like I have a set of buildings that, yeah, I mean, I, I mail, I, I really work. But a lot of people just, don't or the only thing they farm is their own building and i think that certain people certain neighborhoods i just think of agents around the country like that think oh this is my territory and this is where my business comes from and it's your territory because you consider it your territory like you've never given yourself permission to go maybe to this neighborhood or this neighborhood because they're scared of the agent that is dominant there i, I agree with you 100 i learned at a really young age i i I had a little lawn care company right back east and I was like, this is my backyard. Everybody knows me. I went to high school here. I should get all my business there. I wasn't getting as much business there. And then I started to kind of branch off into the different cities, different towns. And I'm realizing I'm actually connecting more with the people in Pleasanton or these different areas than I am in my hometown. I kind of took that into everybody, every agent that I talk to that is looking to grow a farm or anybody that's either been under a brokerage of mine or uh, on my team. I always tell them, listen, start off with a farm, 500 homes, 1,000 homes, be consistent, set up a mailing campaign, a door knocking, a cold calling, make sure you hold up as many open houses as possible, do stuff within the community. That's your little hood. But when you sell a home, if your hood's, you know, an area of Manhattan and, and, and you go to Brooklyn, you sell a home in Brooklyn, make that little area, a little thousand home radius of the property you sold, that little mini farm for the next six months, set up a mailing campaign specifically for that, a cold calling campaign for that. You sell another one in Queens or another one in Staten, wherever, right? I'm just, you know, yeah, it, yeah. wherever you're getting random business outside of your area needs to be a mini farm for at least six months because the numbers show that three or four homes are going to be sold around every listing within about a six to nine month period i think it's like a nar stat so any little side property that you sell make it a mini farm maybe you connect in that area more than you do yours but why not work it for a little bit so yeah yeah, yeah. i also started asking agents like who because you think, oh, the listing agent, oh, they must do a lot of business here. And often they're honest with me and they're like, no, this is my first listing in the building or it's my first listing yeah. in the, you know, whatever. I sold a house like way out in Brooklyn recently in uh, Midwood, which is like, you know, it's a, it's like an hour drive. I mean, it's like, it's, it, it's a ways out there. Um, and I was representing the buyers who we just, we went from neighborhood to neighborhood and we kind of kept going and eventually we, hey, beautiful, cool Victorian house, you know. And the agents out there, I was like, oh, so, you know, you must sell a lot out here. And they're like, this is our first house out here. You know? <laughs> so I was like, okay. I'm, and like, I am going to, that's going to be my mini. You've inspired me to make a mini farm. Yeah, mini farms and hit them for six to nine months, but an entire game plan as far as, you know, just sold, just listings. One thing that I've incorporated a lot is that some of these videos that we're putting into in a QR code form on the mailers, hit the QR code, because everybody's used to QR codes now because of pandemic, right? Uh, it's funny how nobody dealt with QR codes until the pandemic, and now everybody does them, um, because you did the menus, right? Anytime you went, went out to eat. But um, but then with the QR codes, goes back to an Instagram or a landing page or something that sees your personality, sees your smile, sees your, your, your energy, 
starts to kind of connect a little bit more. So yeah, I'm a huge believer in mini farms because you never know what you're going to do. And maybe that's just kind of like a neurotic side of mine where I'm like, am I missing out on potential business over here? Why not hit this for six months? But yeah. Um, Okay. I only have another couple questions for you. Um, So someone just getting into the business now, it's obviously different. I've been in about 10 years too. So when we started, I feel like new agents now, it's a different game. But what would you, you know, what piece of like evergreen advice could you give to them? And what uh, maybe yeah. modern advice would you give to them? So I got a couple different, I've always said this, and I was just talking with a friend of mine um, that her uh, her husband's getting into the industry. And he's like, you know, I don't, there isn't really, I think there's two ways of going about it. So if I was to rewind time and become a realtor right now for the first time, I would do one of two things. I would either try to connect with the number one agent in the area to be on the team to basically be the go the go-to guy. What whatever you need me to do, hold open houses, do this. What I just need to know the industry inside and out and I need to learn from somebody that clearly has been doing this with repetition over time and I'm going to be able to soak as much off you. The second thing I would do uh, if that wasn't an option is I would try to become a in-house uh, sales rep for a builder. Um, out here in the Bay, especially where you've got built, you've got communities that are being built with six, seven, eight hundred homes that are being built out. I want to be representing them for the next three to four years until that development's over. Because as you continue to build the relationships with every single lead that comes through, and you're selling these properties, you're going to be able to end up making that area your new farm once you be once you graduate. Um, I think that's the way to do it. A few of the top agents, one of the two that I was referencing earlier, he started off representing a builder and because of that he built hundreds of 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 great contacts with with these um first time home buyers yeah. and then they come back and they say phil you know i you got me into a home three years ago on 123 Main Street and by Toll Brothers. You know, I'm thinking of selling. And you're just going to continue to drip on them, right? So I think those are the two ways to go. My little guy, my son's uh, 14. He's like, I want to be, you know, I think I want to be in real estate and I want to get in there. Um, you know, he's going to go into there with obviously a book of business available, right? You know, it's just natural that what myself and my, my wife have done over the years, it's going to be there. But I'm, I'm doing everything I can to try to push him into represent a builder. You know, be a sales rep and a builder. Take advantage of people coming to you on a daily basis, so you know how to talk to talk and learn the lingo, and then eventually you'll be able to to um, leverage that. That makes a lot of sense. You're also in a good in a good price point. I always want to be, you know, for a certain size house, or if you're on the top end of that, you can show those buyers this and yeah. this and this. If you're if you have the listing that's like the cheapest thing, the cheapest three bed, it's hard to show them anything else because they were kind of looking at that one for a reason, right? Okay, Brooks. So before I let you go, I need you to talk a little bit about one-to-one video. You inspired me to do some one-to-one videos and yeah. every time the client was like blown away with them. Like they were like, it's- and it, I was like, well, that took me less time than the, you know, this other thing I was doing for you. Right. But it's yeah. like, they're just like, I can't believe you made me a video. Like, <laughs> ah. I, I still get, because I, I do it for people that follow on social, and um, and I I still get people like I cannot believe you just did this, and it's like, well, why not? You just you know you I mean, but I I'm not taking credit for that. I stole that from Ed Stulock, a buddy of mine in New Jersey. He is like the he like he gets it. He is so dialed in when it comes to client and social interaction he's a you should talk to him he's a great dude super super good guy um 
and uh, just a wealth of knowledge. But I stole I stole that from him. I didn't make that up. Yeah, no, I'll definitely reach out to him. Yeah, someone because it can feel a little awkward to just randomly be like, hey, you know, <laughs> like on someone's yeah. post you don't really know. But someone said that imagine it's like a coffee shop. Like you might mm -hmm. talk to someone in a coffee shop in line or something who you wouldn't just talk to on the street. Yeah. And social media, you kind of have to reimagine it a little bit like that, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. To feel yeah. More with it. It's an interesting uh, time we're in. And it's, it's, you know, it makes it a little fun. That's how we connect it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And the worst thing that's going to happen if you send someone a random DM is like, or, you know, you comment on their post, you follow them, and then you send them a DM, like, they just won't get back to you. And that's okay. That's it. Like, that's it. No big deal. We're, and we're in the numbers business as it is. We're calling. Yeah. How many no's do you take a month? You know, yeah. <laughs> um, it's just, that's just kind of like what we're in sales, but yeah. And it's not like this is a, you know, a, a, but it's like you, you, the last, the worst thing somebody can do is not get back to you. Yeah. Okay. But I have gotten agent to agent referrals from people who I've met just like this. And like, that's the thing, or you get really good ideas or, you know, yeah. So if uh, listeners want to get in touch with you, they got a, they got a referral. Uh, they just mm -hmm. want to chat with Brooks. Uh, how should they do that? Uh, I'd probably say social media is going to be the best way, right? Uh, you can go to Instagram at Brooks Landry Group or uh, Content Drip is what we're launching in, uh, in July. So it's an extension of Envision Media. So Brooks Landry Group, INVZN Media, all of social media. Cool. All right. Cool. Uh, and can you give us an email? Brooks at BrooksLandry.com. Really okay. think outside the box there with that one. That hey, was... it's good good to lock that URL down. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, this has been a lot of fun, and uh, I look forward to catching up with you and uh, and seeing how everything's going. You know, in a few months. Awesome, man. I appreciate it, Phil. Take it easy. Okay. Thanks, Brooks. All right, see. Thanks for listening to the Top Broker Podcast. If you want to get in touch or suggest a guest for the show, email Phil at topbrokerpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Okay, Brooks, so before I let you go, I need... <clears throat> okay, Brooks. Okay, Brooks, so before I let you go, I need you to talk a little bit about one-to-one -one video. Um... <laughs>